Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Tony Treach to talk all about decoying big whitetails in open country. Tony is well known for spotting big whitetails, closing the distance, and shooting them at uncomfortably close yardages. We discuss hunting open country whitetails, finding the land to hunt, strategy for this type of hunting, how to close the distance, using a decoy, a few rut stories from the past, and much more. So this podcast is brought to you by the Spartan Forge app, which utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. The new app includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% off the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. Just remember, you do have to go to the website to use that coupon code. You have to go there first and sign up, use the code, you'll save your 20%, and then you go to the app store and download it, use the login information that you created online, and you'll get it. If you just go straight to the app store, you won't be able to get that discount code. So please go over to the website, get that, save you some money off of the new app. And they're also giving away a ton of stuff over on social media um, in celebration of the new launch. The first one is one that includes myself here, and it has to do with three. you can win three e-scouting sessions, private e-scouting sessions with myself, Parker McDonald, Garrett Prawl and Andy May. So all you have to do is head over to the Spartan Ford social media page, click on the post that has to deal with this, and you basically go down and has all the instructions on what you need to do to be able to win. And then uh, also another way to enter is to donate to the Spartan Forge boot campaign GoFundMe. So you can head over to there and any dollar that's donated to the boot campaign, you get an extra entry in a, so that's their way to give back uh, to the, the veterans here. And in addition to the veterans hunt that's coming up this weekend, but not even including that, they're also going, going to be giving away a hunt with Steve Shirk next year, a urban hunt with Taylor Chamberlain, a lot of stuff going on. So head over to the Spartan Forge Instagram page and Facebook, check that out. And uh, yeah, hopefully you get a chance to, to win there. So Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters, and they really continue to push the envelope. And they are still doing their 12 days of rutmas. If you're listening to this right when this comes out, uh, again, over on Instagram, giving away a whole bunch of gear. Go check that out. And you can check out all of their gear and learn more about saddle hunting at tetherednation.com. 
Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. I'm using the B3 8x30 binos in all my whitetail hunts and also the RF1 rangefinder. So if you want to check out Maven Optics, just head over to mavenbuilt.com. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. And last but not least, Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join me on Go Wild today and get 10 bucks to spend on gear just for setting up your account. You'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards, and you can now see my complete gear setups underneath my account, which is just under my name, Bo Martonic. Join it at uh, timetogowild.com or just find it in the App Store. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 10% off of all hunting gear on the website, including all of Tethered Saddle gear. So check that out. All right, so this week is my favorite week of rut hunting and i'm working which uh not complaining about but uh i'm working this week and i just love the second week in november i just for me i feel like this is like when i've had the most opportunities at big bucks has been this week traditionally from the 7th through like the 14th has been just the prime days anything centered around that 11th date Veterans Day has just been awesome for me in the past. And so with that being said, uh, I guess it would be tonight, I will be heading to Johnny Stewart's camp to kick off the Spartan Forge Veterans Hunt. So we got the veterans coming in and, and that one as well as some of the other hunters that have won to come in and hunt with all of us, scout with us. And just have a, a good time getting to to show people what the Big Woods has to offer and do it for a good cause in the boot campaign and, and veterans. So really excited about that to get to do that. So I'll be there, um, you know, Wednesday night uh, through Saturday night. I do have to work on Friday. Uh, so I'll have a little bit of work left to do. And then I'm heading right out to West Virginia Sunday morning driving down there to meet up with josh from the untamed and we're going to be hunting some rugged mountainous country down there doing a little bit of spot and stock whitetail hunting and whatever really it, it it takes us and josh was just texting me today telling me that i picked the best week to go down there they really think this week is when the rut is in full swing in southern west virginia so i'm i'm more than excited about that hunt never been i never hunted that country before i was down there this summer for the tethered teach and train tour but this is going to be epic i'm really excited about it so i hope everyone else is having some good luck in the woods and I did just want to say one last thing. So now I will be gone for a week there. So if you do order anything online, please be patient with me as it'll probably say if you ordered it on Saturday or so, I wouldn't be able to ship it until the following Monday. So um, it's going to be, you know, at least a week of delay in getting out my shipments of apparel and, and gear off the website. So I appreciate all the support that I have been getting with that and been sending out uh, 
boxes of hats and shirts and and water bottles and everything else so i i really really do appreciate that and everyone's support there all right with that being said uh again good luck and just keep your head in the game it's the time you're wait for tony treach welcome back to the podcast man hey thanks for having me back on yeah, it's uh, it wasn't that long ago I had you on um, talking a little bit about mule deer hunting. Uh, I guess it was in I don't know April or May, sometime around that that time frame. And since then, you and I have stayed in touch quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah, it was a little awkward that you uh, asked me about mule deer hunting in the high country, and I'm like thinking, I'm not going to have a high country hunt this year. What, do I, <laughs> what am I doing talking about this? <laughs> but I just you know, but yeah, it's it, it was uh wasn't that long ago and and you uh went up and did it and almost died and yeah uh, we all got to watch and like what the hell's going on yeah i know and i ended up uh i don't even know if i told you this but after i came back i ended up getting a bunch of blood work done and i ended up having mono i had a sinus infection so i had a bunch of problems going into it that i didn't necessarily know i knew i i knew i wasn't doing so hot but i thought i thought i had covid at first and uh i got tested two different times because I was down pretty bad and and I was didn't have it and I was like oh, I'll be I'll be okay once I get there and I wasn't okay and I just mm. couldn't couldn't get much oxygen flow so that definitely impacted me but the the positive thing is that it was you know a one-off that made that happen so I know that I'll be fine you know next time yeah. that I go do it um so that's I'll be back yeah <laughs> unfortunately Great stuff you guys made the right calls though yeah so that's that's that and we i i'm lo- i'm looking forward to getting to talk to you about your your hunts out west but i'm going to save that for the end because i'm going to split this into a couple couple different episodes here but I'd, i wanted to say up front that anybody that um i'm going to skip over the long intro of Tony since uh, we covered that in the last one. So I'd recommend you going back to, to listen to that episode. But Tony uh, loves to hunt and spends a hell of a lot of time, time doing it. That's for sure. And what now it's, uh, we're recording this, it's the middle of October and that's kind of rare to be able to catch you at all (laughs) to be able to, to talk. So it's, uh, it's good to get to talk to you again. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Good to talk to you. Yeah, that's not very often that I'm home uh, at this time. And I think I was just telling you before we started, I was home for the first time in September uh, in eight years. It's just usually, but that that's you know has a lot to do with the fact that tags are a lot harder to come by. You know, I only had a couple tags going into you know, the season, so or the beginning part. So, yeah. So yeah, it's different game nowadays. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And yeah, because you didn't even have a mule deer tag this year. I ended up picking one up uh, on the leftover list in uh, Nevada. Oh, you did uh, that 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 new system they have. Uh, it burns your points. It's a cool system. It's a way to to get turned in tags. Uh, but yeah, it's I ended up picking up a a deer tag for the to match the unit that I was going down there to hunt elk. So I had that in my pocket the whole time. Actually, I, d- I did know that, but you were focused on elk, so oh I, yeah, yeah. I, I found a couple bucks, but they were. I mean, the one was probably pushing one ninety, but I. I was just so into I, yeah. I was all about trying to find the bullet, you know, that I was looking for. Yeah, well, hold hold the thought on that before yeah. we go too deep. But um, so what what do you got planned for for whitetails this year, Tony? 
uh, whitetails. I am well, technically all, uh, all three of the tags that I have left uh, now are either species, but I'm going to Wyoming. Uh, I was trying to get out of here this week, but I might miss the first couple of days of the season yeah, for the general uh, general unit. And it's not a great general unit. I basically apply for it so I can hunt with a friend, uh, Derek Henderson, and him and his family. Uh, they have a he's got a bison tag. His mom's got a moose tag, so I'm gonna probably be basically helping them with that. And if I find a buck, great. If not, it's no big deal. Uh, and then from there, going to be, I got invited to to hunt and do be part of a show, uh, showcasing kind of how I hunt, spot, and decoy uh, deer in the plains. And that'll be with uh, part of the meat eater group and Mark Kenyon. I think I can go ahead and release that now. Uh, <laughs> if not, he's going to be pissed. But uh, I, th- I think it's cool. Yeah. And uh, and then from there, I'm going uh, going to Colorado to film the hunt that Blake Hunter and I uh, decided to, to film after what we went through in the high country of Colorado last year. We both were like, screw this place. I wish let's go where there's less people. And uh, we'll, we didn't draw like The whole idea there was we were both going to hunt both states and as it worked out we only got one voucher the the rancher thought for sure he could get two only only got one and then i didn't draw kansas for the first time ever so uh blake's blake drew kansas so he he's given handed the voucher to me so we can still go on with the film and, and make it and this will probably be better we'll be able to focus you know one guy film one guy hunt in one state and then we'll jump across the border and do the same thing on the other side and so uh, yeah, I'm going from never having filmed any of my hunts, never allowing anybody on my hunts to film with lots of people offering to now three of the next four hunts are going to be filmed. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> um, Might be the last year. Yeah. <laughs> First and last. I remember you told me that back in the spring that you were kind of planning and everything hadn't been exactly worked out yet, but you were looking mm-hmm. to looking to do some some filming there and it's it is going to be super cool though for you to look back on it and yeah. get to get to see that all on all on film and, and I, yeah i don't know i found the stuff where you're on the ground moving around to not be as bad as being in a tree with somebody that's not as not as fun <laughs> i bet perspective i bet and i think running deer too is going to be you know if, if there was ever a beginner's uh you know if you should, if you were beginning hunting videographer or whatever, and and, then, and we actually have professional videographers, like we're, we're Blake and I are the, are the newbies, but if there was a hunt that was made for that first person to, you know, first time to do it, I think hunting uh, deer in the ruts can be perfect on the ground because you can get away with so much with those decoys. So, yeah. And so explain a little bit your style of, of hunting and you're cause I mean, you're from Michigan, but as you told me before, you don't mm-hmm. do a whole lot of, a lot of hunting in Michigan. Do you? I don't, I, uh, I actually didn't even put any cameras out this year. I, I was so busy with, with work and my other hunts and it, usually my only, you know, I'll put, I'll throw some cameras up here and if I see something, you know, that I want to hunt, then maybe I'll hunt it. But uh, other than that, I, I spend so much time out of state that I kind of have to pick and choose where I want to focus my time away from the wife. So when I'm home, I'm home. And, uh, yeah, I really don't do much hunting here. It's every, everything's focused west of the, you know, the plains and west. Um, and it basically wherever I can hunt deer without a tree stand, that's what it comes down to really. I, I just, you know, I, 
I hated being in a tree stand or a blind as a kid or even a young adult. And then once I discovered that, you know, go out west, there are no trees, just, you don't have a choice. And, and we, we learned how to make it work. I mean, it, it just, it fit me better and I have more fun. That's what it comes down to, you know, I'm more successful and I have more fun. Yeah, no, that's, that's what it's all about for sure. And what, um, so explain kind of what that style of hunting looks like, you know, not from a tree and on the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, the way, and, and there's lots of different ways to do it, obviously. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't have to be, uh, during the rut, but most, I, most of my try to, to center them around the rut. You know, like typically I'd be hunting Kansas, maybe Eastern Montana. Uh, this year will be Nebraska and Colorado in addition, uh, in November, and it's, it's deer in the rut. It's bucks that are, you know, white tails that are, are taking their does away from the group, getting them isolated out in a, a, a spot where, you know, they can, you know, keep an eye on or keep her pin down, fend off the other bucks uh, or, or say if it's a mule deer, he'll do the same thing with his harem of does. And then uh, it's up to you to, you know, glass them up, uh, figure out a way to get in tight. Uh, and I don't, I mean, I've, I've used calls and I've used rattling and it's, it's usually a last ditch effort. If I can't find anything to put a stock on and I'll go to thicker areas where I can't glass into them and I'll try to lure something out with calls, but I don't, that's not my go-to. The go-to is cover ground, get whatever I can climb up as a, as a, as a high point, because there's just not a lot of spots to glass from in these areas and then <clears throat> find a buck that I want to kill, uh, get in tight. Don't let him know I'm there until he sees that decoy. I want the first thing he sees to be that decoy. And this is in the case of a whitetail. Uh, I'm using a, you know, a whitetail buck decoy. And he's going to, hopefully I'll be with inside his fight or flight range where he's going to be like, all right, I'm going to go chase this buck off. And he's going to come right to me. Um, or at least if not, even if he doesn't come to me, he's going to puff up and, you know, rub, rub, rub a tree or a brush or a brush or, or start raking the ground, whatever, and try to be aggressive and scare me off. Um, that's, that's, you know, that, that's it, it, when you find those mature bucks and you get in tight, it almost works every time. It's, I mean, they just don't, yeah. you know, it, they, it, they don't put up with it. So yeah, you're getting right in their face, <clears throat> excuse me, by getting in there, you're getting just mm -hmm. right up in their face. And when you, when you say like, you know, trying to find, you know, a high spot to glass and stuff like, so when you get into a place like Kansas, that yeah. seems, uh, well, every time I've driven through, I've never hunted, but it seems pretty damn flat. Do you yeah. do, do you yeah. do much, um, glassing from the roads, the road systems? Uh, everywhere and anywhere I can. A lot of times you, you will have little high spots in the roads where you can glass in the distance. Uh, I've climbed farmer's barns. I've climbed oil well towers, uh, oil well tanks. I've climbed up on the back of my truck, up on top of the, the cab. Just that extra six, eight feet, 10 feet off a, of an oil tank or whatever uh, makes a huge difference. I mean, because you're looking at these little grassy draws and there's not a whole lot of uh, tall brush per se, like uh, trees. And you'll still have occasional little creek bottoms, river bottoms that have, have some trees. But for the most part, you know, we're hunting them in in grass and tall weeds and in spots where, I mean, it's very, very easy to look over, you know, to look past them. But if, uh, if you can just gain a little bit of elevation, a lot of times that's all you need. Yeah. That's, that's in interesting. And, and like, so when you're, how do you find, uh, like, what are you looking for, for areas to hunt when you're, when you're going to, um, these types of places that are open. Cause to me, that's like something I would feel completely lost in not, <laughs> not knowing. Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think a lot of the times it's, 
it's you're going to find spots that don't have anything and it's just flat you know cut wheat whatever uh pick pick tay fields that just have no texture or uh structure to them but the more you look on it and you can look on google earth and it doesn't look anything like you're looking at you know when you're when you're standing on the side of a road looking in these big sections that these guys farm but then all of a sudden there might be a dry creek bed or there's uh you know that hasn't had water in years but it but it but it's got like a 10 foot little gully and then inside there there are pockets of uh tumbleweeds or brush those little spots you just kind of gotta you gotta put the, the boots to the ground to find them um you can look on google earth a lot too to, to try to help but sometimes it's really surprising where these deer kind of make home, but, you know, but obviously they got to have food. They got to be kind of left alone. Like you don't want a spot that people are just going through all day, you know, every day, but for the most part, it's just little, little shady pockets that they can, they can just tuck in. And sometimes it, it'll, it'll blow you away how little they really need yeah. to hide. I mean, I've almost stepped on a 200 inch white tail before. I mean, when I was chasing, I mean, literally like a, a foot and a half from my foot, and he'd explode out of this like little cave of tumbleweeds and he was just gonna let me walk by really but oh yeah that they're it, it's it's crazy out there and so like when you're looking at say if you're looking at google earth or you're looking at the map and you're coming down on top of it is there any like i know for me when i'm and again i'm mostly hunting forested areas but like i'm looking for different diversity in vegetation would it still be the same like in there's not really much for terrain, but you know, like if you're looking for different ditches or maybe some different mm-hmm. colors in the, you might not know exactly what it is from that aerial image, but from looking mm-hmm. at it, are those types of things like to, just to key you in on a general area, even to oh, put yeah. boots on the ground or, or wheel mm-hmm. or gas in your truck, so to speak. It's so much easier than it is here in the East and Midwest for us. I'm, I'm so much easier boat like literally you zoom in and you can tell right away all these spots that have never been farmed. Like they'll, they're going to farm whatever they can. I mean, if the ground isn't, if they're not farming it, that ground's not making them money. So you'll see these little spots that they've left for one reason or another. That's usually terrain or it's wet or it's, or whatever they're, they've got it set aside as CRP or whatever program, but you can see those spots that aren't being worked up or, or even if, if it's a spot that's got a giant pivot out there, you're going to have big corners that don't have, that aren't worse. Maybe some, maybe they've let it grow over the years. And now there's big brush piles there or, you know, big piles of those sunflowers, those wild sunflowers. Those are just magnets for bedding, but you can see old creek bottoms going through these, like these spots that have the tall grass that haven't worked up. That's just ideal. Cause that stuff just doesn't get, doesn't get touched. They don't, they don't, they don't cut it for hay. They don't, they don't plant anything in it. It's just left wild. And that's what you need. You need to have the spot with enough of that. So it's, it's actually a lot easier to tell from, like I need to go there than it is to look at a big section of hardwoods. Interesting. That's, it's cool to, that like when you're, you saying that you're looking at any area that's not farmed obviously has mm-hmm. something that made it so they can't, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, like you said, either wet or some terrain or whatever that might yeah. be that kind of keys, keys you in on it. And uh, that's, that's interesting. Like, and, and so when you find these areas, are they typically, are you typically looking for like, public pieces are you trying to knock on doors are you trying or how how does that uh typically work for you all the above uh there's actually a lot of walk-in hunting they call it wih in uh in, in kansas it's a great program that you know that people can let people hunt on their uh their, their, their private land uh for a tax break or whatever uh 
and I've killed bucks on those properties. Um, and there's great pheasant on them too. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of pieces that are overlooked and, um, but I do have, I do have access to, you know, a lot of private land. Uh, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of other guys on that property too. I mean, the, a lot of landowners down there just, they don't, they don't, they don't think too highly of the deer. So they, hmm. they, they want them gone. Uh, as far as, you know, state pieces and, and straight up public land, you just don't see a whole lot of that. There are some big uh, reserve areas that are pretty good. And in those spots, you know, the further away you can get from a trailhead, the better. Um, there are a lot of people that just won't put, you know, you see, you see a lot more, a lot of road on gifts, even with, even with archery season. A lot of people just drive around trying to find something on the road, um, which is fine if you, you know, are, you know, if you know how to glass into the little spots and you're willing to go in there and get them. But a lot of guys, if they're not hundred yards from the road, they're just like, whatever it's. And then so you just see these people driving around and over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's a mix of all, all the properties. And it's, um, I think that knocking on doors there is definitely easier than it is, uh, pretty much anywhere I've, I've found it's, it's not a guarantee and it's got, it's getting harder every year. Like, uh, I think five or six years ago, I was saying like, I've never been said no, told no. And then I think the next very next year after I said that on a podcast, I basically had my life threatened by a, a guy that was like, if you don't get off my land right now, you're going to be, you know, fed to the hogs type thing. And it's like, <laughs> Hey, yes, sir. I'm out. Uh, so I've, I've definitely found some people that, that aren't, aren't willing to let you hunt, but it's <laughs> made you think twice about the next door you knocked on, didn't it? Oh, I tell you what, I just scratched that one off the list forever. Like that guy was right <laughs> out of a movie. I mean, it was, it was, it was right out of a movie, <laughs> oh, a horror movie. Yeah. No, that's funny. Um, it, cause it's, it's interesting. I've, I've looked at like Kansas specifically a lot. I mean, it's a popular whitetail destination, but also from the standpoint, my girlfriend lives right on the border of Kansas and Missouri. So mm. I've been like, Hmm. Well, the the problem is though, I can't really use that as an excuse to go visit her because I'd probably be hunting the whole time and not see her anyways. So there's not, not a huge benefit. But when I was looking at, uh, you know, the state, I noticed there wasn't as many like traditional public land places yeah. that you would, would see. And I, I haven't taken the time to fully understand the walk-in stuff yet, but I knew that there was, um, some different opportunity as far as, as far as that goes. But I had heard like some of those those Western slash Midwest uh, whitetail states there that the deer are pretty aggressive um, mm -hmm. compared to what we find a lot in the the East and the Midwest. Very much so. It's uh, it's, it's 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 odd to find a buck in Kansas or Eastern Montana in November that doesn't have broken antlers. Like it's they're they're, they're fighting. And I think I've got a theory, and I don't know how true it is. I'm probably not the only with this theory, but it. Yeah, you take two big mature bucks in Illinois or, or Pennsylvania or, you know, a, a heavily timbered area and they're a thousand yards away from each other cruising, looking for does. They're not going to see each other. They're probably not going to fight. They're not going to have a, a, an interaction. But out there, they see each other and they'll. I've seen them walk across an entire section towards each other and then square off. So I think they just, you know, the, the, the buck to door ratio is better. Uh, I think. At least I think it is. It seems to be. That's what you know. You see more bucks than you do, and maybe that's just a matter of you can see more. Yeah. Uh, you can. Yeah. There's just less trees and less timber, but they 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 have the same thing, and they end up they end up brawling more. They they uh, they fight, and they boy at the right time. I mean, it's not. It doesn't work every time. I've went out there plenty of times and rattled and called, and 
and you don't get anything, but I've also done it and had eight bucks in my lap in 30 seconds. And you're like, what is going on? And I've had a, you know, my biggest, uh, white tail from, from Kansas, uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure he would have took the decoy mounted bow or the bow, the decoy that was mounted by bow out of my hand if I hadn't, if I hadn't killed him. I mean, he was coming. And at that point, I mean, it, he saw that decoy and I was, he was convinced I was a buck. It didn't matter if I had legs and arms and a head uh, behind it. He was coming. Yeah. yeah they, they get, they get a one track mine. And, so he better have been big enough because you're like, at this point, like you, there's no fooling yeah. around. Like I'm going to practice on this one. Like he, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I have tried that with, with a uh, subordinate, you know, like smaller bucks, like to see, like, you know, say one's just charging in to kick my ass and I don't want to shoot him. And you throw that decoy down flat on the ground and they just stop in their tracks and look, look at it and they look up at you and they look at it and they look up at you. Like, cause they're totally convinced. Like, that you are a deer. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're laying, that deer's laying on the ground and there's a human standing there and they, and they still give you opportunity. Like they just stand there looking at you like they're dumbfounded. Um, <laughs> they'll, a lot of them will take off running 40, 50 yards and then they'll stand there. Like they look, they, they just can't, they can't stop looking because they just, they're convinced of what they saw. And they, I'm sure those deer get smarter after that, but uh, yeah. And, but, the, but also like they're, they're not necessarily in the right mind or in the rut anyways, no. they're a little bit, you know, yeah, a little bit messed up there. So when that, mm-hmm. when that happens, it makes it so much worse. But it, it makes sense as far as your theory on them being able to see. Because I mean, here in the spots I hunt in Pennsylvania, sometimes you can't see fifty yards or anything. Right. And, and you know, that's why I do a lot of blind calling here because they can be cruising, uh, you know, a little ways away from me. I'll never see them until yep. you know that happens. So that that makes that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and um so uh, how do you how do you go about it like if you see you spot a buck that you want to go after you know whether he's tending a doe or he's just out on his own or whatever like how how do you close that distance say you see him at i don't know four or five hundred yards i don't know how far you see him but like how do you close that distance they're gonna bed in a spot where they feel safe and, and protected. And that's usually going to be a spot out of sight. Uh, or at least you, you might see them go into it, but then you, they disappear. And once, once that happens, uh, I just get as close as I can, uh, put the wind at a, at a quartering angle. Uh, I really don't like it perfect for me. I don't want it blowing from them to me just because, uh, they're typically when they're laying down, uh, he might be laying there facing her, but she's going to be facing downwind to to the side she can't smell. So I don't want to be coming in right directly into her side. I want to come in from the side on a 90 if I can, if the train allows, but basically get as close as I can. Um, it might mean belly crawling through weeds. And then, you know, you might get to a point where like, uh, I've had bucks, uh, big bucks that, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I had bedded, but you know, it's this giant four foot, five foot tall section of, <clears throat> of weeds. <clears throat> Sorry. And once you get in there, everything kind of blends together <clears throat> and the uh the only way i was able to stay on those bucks was a, <clears throat> these little smaller bucks coming in pestering them and he'd stand up to chase them off and then he'd go back to the dough so i once I'd, I'd get so close and i'd just have to wait and basically just just stand there you know sitting kneeling on my knees waiting 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 and all of a sudden you see this little forky come in and who knows he's probably laying over 50 yards away and just tested every every 10 minutes whatever comes in, the big buck gets up, runs him off. And then you can kind of like, 
make it, you know, a, a place mark in your mind again. Okay, that's my heading again. And then just just keep doing that until you can actually get a visual on them in those weeds. Okay. And other times other times there's not weeds. It might be a, a cliffy area where they're they're bedding in the in the, the shade of a eroded bank along an old creek bed or something. In those cases, it's actually it's a lot easier to actually know where they're at because they, they use those spots over and over and over every year, different deer do. Um, and then it's just a matter of getting the wind right where you can come up you know, over the top. So, so like, so kind of, uh, I'm assuming you're, you're doing most of your glassing in the mornings and, um, in the evenings, as far as seeing when they're moving a little bit, or does that, how does that play all day, all day, all day. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I definitely start, like, I'm not getting out of, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on a glassing point, whether it be the top of a roof, my truck, uh, the, on a hill on a, where the road, you know, is the highest point in the area. If it's a tree, if it's a, if it, whatever it is, I'm going to be on that as it gets daylight at the best spot where I think there is to, to find the buck that I'm targeting. But then, I mean, if I don't find them, I'm just moving to the next one, moving to the next one. And like I said, I might hit like a late morning. I might hit a thick spot that I've got a few spots that the bucks like to hold. You just can't see into it. I'll try to call out of those. But if I don't, if I don't pull anything out of there, it's just all day. I mean, you're just covering ground and it's going and it's, you know, making the same loops because those deer are going to come back out and move. Yeah. Just because you didn't see them in the morning doesn't mean they're not there. Um, and they might move. And a lot of times, you know, midday, you're, you, you're you going to find them in maybe a weird spot. Maybe they moved a couple miles or maybe they just moved a couple hundred yards and they're on someone else's property that now, now I got another door to go knock. I got to, got to grab the onyx and try to figure out who owns it. And then I got to, you know, you know, clean myself up and get my yes sirs and no, no ma'ams and all that in order and, and go, uh, try to get permission on another piece. Yeah. It, hap- it happens a lot. Yeah. And I guess it is, um, I'm, forgetting it is during the rut so they are going to be moving all day mm-hmm. so you haven't really just as good of an opportunity as seeing them you know at noon as you do first thing in the morning too yeah yeah it's definitely totally different world than we're living in right now if a guy's out there white till mid-october early yeah. october yeah no that's 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 so cool that you're um that you're able to to do that and drive around and have you have you done it before? Say you weren't seeing any where you like you you saw that you know a patch that typically holds deer that bed in it stuff where you kind of still hunt your way through um, and do it that way. Or are you always trying to have visuals on before you go into a piece? Mm, I've done that before, but I knew they were in there uh, and I just couldn't see them and I couldn't call them out and I and basically I just crept in to try to get eyes on them. Uh, I would say that works fifty percent of the time at best. Uh, there's been lots of times when I just you know they're laying right just out of sight. And as soon as you take 10 steps in there, she's got you pinned and you're like, why was I thinking? Yeah. And, but I've had, but I've killed great bucks doing that same thing too. Uh, where all of a sudden you, you catch her, you know, just standing up out of her bed or you catch her getting, you know, him, you know, getting up, getting her up or whatever. And then their, their, their attention is on each other. She's pissed off because she just wants to lay down. He's horny as hell. And then, you know, they're just not, they're not even looking for you at that point. And you can get away with a lot more, but, it's it's crapshoot though. Yeah, you're you're moving in when you don't know exactly, or you're or I should say exactly. You don't always know exactly where they're at. But if you don't have a large to... enough piece that they could they could be anywhere, and you're walking in the middle of it, it's risky. Yeah, and with uh with the the whole decoy thing, I heard you say it's on the front of your bow. So it's is it like attached on your stabilizer, or how does that necessarily? Yeah, work? there's a. There's a bracket uh, that heads up decoy cells that mounts between the stabilizer and your bow. Um, and you could put it in the front too if you have uh, one of those threaded uh, 
holes in the front of your stabilizer too, but the, you don't want to do that. It's just going to create a more torque. Uh, any wind, you don't want this thing on your, on your, on your bow. And yeah. it comes with, uh, they sell like a little, uh, super heavy duty clamp that you could clamp onto a limb or a, a brush or whatever. And you can stick the decoy in that. And then I also, he sells uh heads up decoy sells a uh, short stake. They actually, I think they call it their Turkey steak because they, they can slide the decoy right over top of it, but they use it for their Turkey mount, but it works. It works pretty good for, for deer too. And I actually, I actually just today picked up from my local welder, a, uh, a couple of those stakes I had them make that instead of, the ones that heads up decoy cells are only about 10 inches tall. And a lot of times I'm hunting in like cut mile or cut wheat, or even it's just like two foot tall brush or a grass. I mean, uh, half the decoy is buried in the, in the crap. So I had to make up some that were, uh, basically they were 18 inches taller. So they're probably a total of about two foot tall, mm -hmm. same exact stake. So I can actually mount that stake in front of me. Um, I had a, a homemade version last year and it took about all of one stock to break it. So I, I just had some steel ones welded up this year and yeah, it's going to be, uh, hopefully a big improvement. You know, that's actually, I don't, I, I don't even, I shouldn't know if I should even say this because I'm not even sure if it's legal to do this and if it's legal to do that in Pennsylvania, but I was going to, like to use a decoy when you're when you're moving on the ground. I'm not sure why not. I know with turkeys you're not allowed, but I'm not sure sure why you wouldn't be allowed with deer. Do you know that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, know, I do not know because my, my so my dad hunts a lot off the ground where he'll go into some of these sick clear cuts and walk the logging roads and and grunt and snap sticks and do and he, sh he shot actually he shot probably four out of his last. I might be maybe seven bucks off the ground huh. like that within 10 yards, usually frontal because they're coming in right at them, mm -hmm. but he'll do that during the, during the rut. And I, I would wonder how, if a decoy like that would work, you know, I'm sure it would. Um, but that's, you know, something that, that he's done. And I, I need to, I need to see if he'll talk to me, talk with me on the podcast about it. You know, he's, <laughs> that strategy is, is, it's so cool. Cause he's been so successful with it off the ground and doing that. And I'm sure that those types of things could be applied, you know, different mm -hmm. places as well. Obviously where they have more of a visual, it, it helps. And I, I love decoys in general. I use, I use decoys in some of my spots where it's super thick and I might be sitting on a little bit of an opening and I want to just get them to come out. Um, but I've, I've, uh, I've seen the ones that you've used the heads up ones, but I've never seen them in person. So, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think there's probably a lot of ways, other ways to use them. I just haven't, haven't tried it yet. I've, uh, I've attempted the kind of, you know, deer in sight, maybe they're 500, 800,000 yards away, holding it up in front of me, getting low to the ground, you know, kind of low to the ground horizontal. And then like with my backpack, you know, just like moving like an animal real slow. And I've gotten away with it a couple of times, but they're locked on to you. And they are like, that is one screwed up deer up there. There's something wrong with that thing. And <laughs> that you, I mean, if you're trying to be low key, it's definitely not. It last last pitch, you know, uh, only it's it's definitely not a. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it works every time. So, at what point do you pull that decoy out then? Like, what what point in the stock or the that transition? So my goal is to get all the way within range of him and within his kind of his little circle. You know, like his circle of safety where. He sees me. He's not going to be like, there's another buck over there. He looks pretty big. I'm just going to grab this doe and go. I don't want him to do that. I want him to see me and be like, I don't have a choice. I have to fight. 
So I don't pull it out. I mean, I'll have it ready. Like as I'm creeping in, I'll have it on my bow or in my hand. Just as a, if they stand up and I'm caught out in the middle of nowhere, I can literally hold it in front of myself and kind of lower myself to the ground. But I'm not hoping to, that he sees it until I'm literally, you know, sitting or on my knees in the grass or the weeds, whatever. I have a lane to him where if he stands, I got a shot. There's nothing in between us. You know, basically, if I can see the top, his whole rack, that's perfect because I know when he stands, I can see his vitals. And then I set that decoy up in front of me. If it's dead calm, I'll just keep it on the bow and keep my, my bow, you know, sitting in front of me. Um, and then I just wait for him to see it. I, ideally, don't make any sound. I don't grunt. I don't snort wheeze. I've done that before. I've, there's been times when I didn't have a choice. I was freezing to death or, you know, the, the wind was getting swirly and I'm just like, I got to make this happen now. But most in a perfect situation, he sees it first, stands up, and at worst case scenario, he affords you the time to have that shot before he busts out of there. Best case scenario, he sees you, he puffs up like a like a you know cheese puff and put, rolls his ears back, his eyes go back in his head, he starts swaying his antlers back and forth, walking towards you, and he's going to try to intimidate you out of there. And at worst case scenario, he doesn't want to fight, but he will fight if you don't leave. Um, that's where you have I mean, that, if things get crazy sometimes. And like you said, if your dad's type of hunt, there's a lot of frontal shots. That was one of the first things that Garrett Rowe told me from Heads Up Decoys. Like, it's like you're going to, you know, have, have to be okay with a frontal shot around here if you're really going to put this thing to its best use because they're going to come in and they're going to try to kill you. Yeah. And they do. I mean, I, I, I bet more than half of the bucks I've killed with that decoy, they're facing right straight at me. Yeah. And you, I mean, you shoot iron will broadheads too i believe don't you mm-hmm. yeah so you're trying to you have something with max penetration on the front and i'm sure everything's built oh, yeah. out for that for that specific reason oh yeah and a pretty heavy arrow yeah I, i've been no i've most of the most of the deer i've shot in frontal the arrow either gets a complete pass through or it's poking out the yeah one out of one of the uh rear quarters like i get a you know basically a full penetration the only reason it doesn't is because it catches a femur or a pelvic or something yeah, it it is amazing. I mean, that shot is so lethal if it's done correctly and at those oh. those close distances. I've seen it like I said, I've seen it with my dads before. Where they'll be either like I said either full passer or sticking out the the hind leg, you know, almost mm-hmm. the full arrow, and it's just it's uh it's incredible how it can be obviously again you gotta you gotta know the anatomy of the deer and yes. where you're yep. aiming there because you do have a smaller smaller window but at close distances that can be a super super mm-hmm. lethal lethal shot and yep. um it's it's interesting like the way you know how you're trying to get in that zone of where they have no choice but to fight or yeah really or just to fight is kind of the same thing that i, I know some elk hunters that that do it and i know joel turner had talked to me about that quite a bit he's like it's like when you're you know when you're at the bar and you you get up in their face it's a little bit different than if you're yelling from across the room sort of deal mm-hmm. you know and th- that's yeah exactly it's the same principle I, I remember hearing joel say that same exact thing to myself and i thought son of a bitch that'd work with deer yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's exactly what we we were doing it already and didn't, didn't really realize it so yeah huh and um just without vocals yeah so what um was it last last year you killed a big kansas buck didn't you yeah no I, i've 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 killed one every every year i've went out there every year uh, <laughs> this year's gonna be pretty sad to, I'll, I'll be at least going down there and seeing the ranchers and spend some time with their you know whereas we're trying to put blake on a big buck but it's uh 
this will be yeah this will be a, a little bit a little melancholy going down there knowing i don't have a tag myself a little but, sad <laughs> yeah um, but yeah last year's buck was cool he was super old i had been I, I i can't say i hunted him for three years because i passed him up for the previous two years that i'd seen him uh he was just a giant eight point or you know western standards a three by three with eye guards and he really doesn't look he's got a little more character this year he's, he's right next to me actually i'm looking at him but he didn't and he's probably got more massive but his overall shape it didn't change a whole lot and he was real identifiable and uh i actually got within 15 yards of him last year twice before i the third time when i decided yeah i, I need to kill him like it, it, <laughs> we need to well it was i thought he had a couple i thought both of his gts were g3s were broke and they end up being that they just kind of turn and palmate a certain way and it kind of looked almost like little duck duck feet and he's just got just such cool character that in hindsight now to look at him it's like he yeah he's he's amazing he's he's doesn't score with you know well i shouldn't say he's like 160 in j point but yeah i was gonna say i've seen that picture and i'm like what are you you're making him sound like he was a call buck here (laughs) well he was that's that's the smallest buck i've shot whitetail in kansas and uh since i started hunting the archery i think really Uh, score wise yeah uh but but yeah (laughs) just super super cool character you know giant bladed uh g2s i'm just looking at him right now yeah he's he's cool Oh, that's, that's awesome. And how, how did that play out? Um, you know, where, how you got in close with them there on, on three different times? Uh, well, the first time I saw him and immediately I just saw the frame, the big heavy frame from long, a long distance. And I'm like, Oh, this is a big buck. And as soon as I put the glass on, you know, the big guy on him, I'm like, Oh, I remember this guy, but I was still taking video. I mean, I'm still looking, he's still a great. And at that point I'm thinking I still might try to kill this, this buck. And I thought, well, I'm just going to get close and see how he looks, you know, closer. And it worked out way better than I thought because I got close to the little cattaily area that they that I saw him disappear into. And there was two other mature bucks and a couple of uh, yearlings. And I mean, there was probably like six bucks in their total. And one, one doe that I'd seen, and she, she had to have been hot. I mean, they were just going nuts over. And I got, I mean, I was 100 yards away and I could hear them and they're grunting and snort wheezing each other. And I got as close as I could while still having a shot if they came out of it. I mean, I'm basically standing at the, you know, five yards from the, like a wall of cattails and grass that's over my head. And it just sounds like war going on there. And they're, they're just walking around each other in circles, just grunting and snort reason. So I started snort reason at them and they were, it was, it was so cool. And I got, he came out of there at one point and kind of looked out like, and I had a decoy in front of me. He just saw it and was kind of like, all right, great. Another buck. And at that point I, I was just another buck. Like, right. He's got his hands full. Like he's yeah. got a doe bed down and there's five or six other real bucks literally walking circles around him and his dose. He's just like, screw up, man. <laughs> we got enough people in here, but I, I decided I was going to put, put kind of pressure to him. And I just want to see what would happen at that point. When he walked out, I thought, oh, that's that guy, you know, that guy a couple years ago, he's broke. I'm just going to walk in there and see what happens. I'm going to walk right at him. Just snort reason the whole time. And I almost stepped on one of the yearling bucks who was just laying there. I mean, I, he was probably two or three feet from, from me when he just blew out of there and took everybody with him. Like the whole group just kind of like scattered. They were all ran out a couple hundred yards and looked back like what the hell happened. And, and I just hunkered down. I didn't want him to see me. So, and then I backed out and, um, I, it probably wasn't until it was a few days later that I saw him again and, I saw him walking across a cut cornfield, pushing a doe, and there was another little buck chasing him. And they, 
made bed right on the edge of it in a, in a wash. And I, I have same thing. I thought, I'm just going to get up there close and see what he looks like. And I couldn't, the, the doe and the little buck both kind of had eyes on me. Uh, I couldn't crawl any further without them. You know, they'd already picked me up crawling on my belly. So I just prepped the decoy up. I was probably 50 to 70 from them. And he was probably another 20 yards beyond. And the doe eventually just kind of like, like I got enough fun with him and junior over here. I'm out. And she just stood up and walked across cut cornfield. And eventually he's a big buck stood up. And that's when I really, I was able to be you know, only 70 yards away or 80 yards away trotting across the corn cut corn i'm like oh he's a little better than i thought he was i need to kill him and uh and that that little buck actually the little buck stood there looking at me like who the hell are you and then that little buck i actually decoyed him into like four or five feet he just made the whole circle until he got right directly downwind to me and he just kind of stuck his head up near like wait a second yeah you're not a deer <laughs> and he still didn't leave i like had it was one of those deer i had to drop the decoy and just you know he stands there dumbfounded like i just don't understand um but at that point, I, they were getting close to the other side of the, the cut cornfield, and I wanted to put eyes, make sure I watched where they went in. And so I hustled up and ran, you know, it wasn't maybe 50 yards where I could just get like a couple feet of extra di- height to see in there. And I, I saw roughly where they bedded, uh, just tall grass on the edge of a field where, you know, again, the farmer doesn't, he can't farm. It's just, it's, the terrain doesn't allow it. Uh, the wind was in my favor. It was probably 70 degrees. I had one layer of clothing on. Um, and I hustled around uh, the side of the field that they were on. I didn't, I didn't want to go quite straight across in case they came back out. Because a lot of times they'll do goofy stuff like that. Bill was just like, nope, I don't like the spot. And they'll turn me around and double track. And <clears throat> so I stayed in the cover, went around the long way. <clears throat> got to probably, I would say I was probably 150 yards from where I expected they were at. And I just hunkered down. Like, I don't, like, I don't know where they're at in this grass. Some of this grass is knee high. Some of it's over my head and it kind of goes back and forth. It's just big boy, red wavy grass. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going to just traipse through here. And I waited and it wasn't, wasn't probably five minutes. And she stood up and stretched <clears throat> and I confirmed that it was her because he was at that point, you could kind of just see the tips of his antlers you know, in, the, in the grass right there. And she bedded back down and I hustled pretty quick. At this point, it's pretty windy. The wind was actually picking up. And slightly switching, but it was still in my favor. Um, there was a front coming in, a, a nasty weather. But I was able to get uh, – I wasn't so much moving around them to put the wind in my favor as I was moving around to them to the only side I'd have a shot. So everything to, let's say, the east and the north of them is like four foot – at least three foot tall grass and above. But there's a couple spots just immediately to the southwest of them. And, there, and, and I, I want to say there was a west wind. But there was like to the southwest, west of them, there was some spots that looked like the grass was maybe two foot tall, maybe even 16, 18 inches. Well, that means I can get a shot across there to them. Because when he stands, it doesn't do me any good. If he doesn't see a decoy one or decoy or if in, in two, that I can't shoot shoot him when he does stand. So I, I snuck around to that side where I knew I'd have a shot. I knew he'd see me. The wind was quartering, but you don't get a lot of gusts out there in the plains. It's usually the winds are strong, but they're very consistent. So I got to that core hard quartering wind and it was just perfect. I snuck up there on my hands and knees and I didn't even have to belly crawl because the grass was, you know, it was like, it was perfect. He was, they were in a spot that was probably three foot tall. I could just see his antler tips. And I've got video. I've posted video of just that spot. It's 15 yards from him. I could see his frame in there. Can't, I couldn't see her at all. Um, but I could see his, the top of his rack. He's just facing her. He's not facing downwind. He is focused on her. I'm, super tight, super close. There's like 
I would say a foot to 18 inch tall grass, almost all the way to, to him, except for right at him where it starts to get just a little bit taller. So I know I can shoot. There's a four foot wall of grass, a tall wall uh, grass right behind me as a perfect backstop. So I just kind of nestled in there, broke the grass down around in front of me, stuck that decoy on the ground stake in front of me. And I'm like, he is dead. Like he, he has no idea, but as soon as he stands up, he's going to see a decoy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 15 yards. The decoy is 13 yards from him. I just got it right in front of me. So I can just shoot over it. He's done. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And this is one of those times when I, I was making noise. I was grunting. I was snort wheezing because that wind that was switching brought, it went from 70 degrees to like 25, 30 in like maybe two hours. And I was dying. Like I had, <laughs> I had no gloves, no, no little Merino cap. I had no second layer i had on um, like core lightweight hoodie yeah and some ascent pants i was absolutely like bare bones just freezing and i'm to the point where i'm like i'm not sure if i can draw my bow back and i you know i tried a couple times like i can right now but i'm not for much longer yeah. i just have i and, and it wasn't like i was chasing 190 inch deer in my mind i was like because usually i am he you know chasing a bigger buck than him so i was like i'm like screw it if this doesn't work I've, I've been on this, you know, this is the third time I've been in tight. I can do it again. Um, but I got to push this because I, 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 or otherwise he's going to stand up an hour from now. I'm going to try to put my bow back. But I'm not gonna, it's not going to happen. So I put the decoy on the bow, even though it was pretty windy and slept the rest of my gear there. I stood up and I just walked towards him and yeah, I, I got to like six yards and he pops up kind of like, like a, what the hell type, like a, like, oh, he didn't see the decoy, right? He just something was close. But it, I mean, it, but by the time he literally got all the way vertical to his feet, those ears were laid back and his head started to rotate and turn. Like, you see this on top of my head? Yeah. And, you know, he was, his hair was bristling up. I'm like, oh, you are so dead. And at that point, <laughs> I mean, I just drew my bow. And they, they, they I swear to God, when you, even when you're that close, drawing the bow, they'll kind of look at you. Like, they'll pick up their head, they'll change their demeanor slightly, but they, they're convinced you're a deer. Yeah. And, he just ate the arrow and you know at that time she explodes out of there um and uh they ran like 50 yards and he tipped over oh man that <laughs> you you know you're talking about uh having a video camera you know with oh. you now like if you, <laughs> if you have I know. This is, half of that <laughs> like, i know this is exactly why i decided to do the film these hunts because uh, of that hunt. And then uh, just a couple years ago, I, I shot a mule deer at three yards, like 190 inch mule deer in Eastern Montana. And that, I mean, and the, and the mule deer are completely different than, than the white tail. You're, you're more luring in the does at first there. Cause yeah, they always have a hair in my does and you're not going to get past them. It's not like you're going to flash that doe decoy or that mule deer buck. And he's going to be like, hold on ladies, just stay over here. Those does are going to be snorting and pissed off at you. And, but they won't leave. And then cause they don't know who you are. And then they'll do that, play that game. And then eventually suck him in. And that's exactly what happened. I got close to these does. They eventually bedded like 35 yards from me. Like, all right, you're one of us now. And he bedded down with them and he kept looking over like, and I, I didn't really have a shot in the brush. And finally he's like, well, I'm going to go check her out. You girls don't want to. Yeah. And he, I mean, I mean, he was reaching out with his nose to sniff the end of my quivalizer, uh, but you know, that long stabilizer quiver. Yeah. Uh, when I shot him. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and, and if that had been on film, I mean, it would have just been like, yeah, there's there's been some things that have happened so close and so cool that it, I kick myself for not at least trying to self film or, or having somebody there. So Even, I'm really, yeah, really yeah. hoping that I don't we know. Can do something. I don't know if you can mount something on that that 
quivalizer, not like a tacticam of some sort. But if you had even that, <laughs> like, you know, like that's a, good, that's a good idea up close and personal, like that would be, uh, as I'm sure you'll go on, on other hunts where you won't have a, a camera with you, but even that, just like that with those types of hunt, that'd be perfect for, uh, yeah. you know, a camera that was on your bow or whatever. No, definitely need to, I, we'll see who knows. Maybe after this year of, of filming three hunts in a row, I'll be like, Bo, I'm not doing that ever again. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I'm going back the way I've always done it. Yeah. Or maybe I, this this will be the new norm. Who knows? Yeah, in December I'll follow up with you and be like, Hey Tony, what'd you what'd you think of that? And yeah, either you'll be like, Oh, it wasn't too bad, or you know, hell no. <laughs> I think it's gonna work out just because of the nature of the hunt, but Yeah. No, that'll be that'll be pretty cool. Um But anyways, Tony, I think uh I think I'm gonna close this one out um from the whitetail side and for anybody listening we're going to do another one here on his on his elk hunts it'll be a separate episode that'll release a little bit after but um so thanks for talking to me about the whitetails there tony you bet anytime Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.